lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Osports Podcast Network, and y'all, y'all are all in for a treat this week, um, because uh, my guest, someone who I've been wanting to have on the show for a while now, but hadn't reached out to because... I know that he has a lot of late nights and a lot on his plate. Uh, I wanted to wait until he had a nice little break, and it seems like the summer podcast tour of 2021 is uh, just the kind of break that we needed to get. The one and only Jay Rose, uh, ring announcer, video producer, creative, manager, um, you name it, he's done it outside of actually getting in the ring for a match. But that doesn't matter. Jeros is a uh, eclectic um, creative within the pro wrestling world and someone who just celebrated his uh, five-year anniversary of being in the industry as well. Uh, and definitely someone who I have been wanting to kind of learn more about and have like a really in-depth conversation uh, with, not just about pro wrestling, but about himself as well. And luckily for us, and for me, and for everyone here, uh, we got that chance. And it's it's a long and fruitful one, let's just say that. <laughs> you saw the runtime. You know what you're in for. Uh, yeah, anyway, so because of that length, I'm going to keep the intro here short, but I did want to real quick just address the situation with AEW and Max Caster that we've seen play out over the past 24 hours to 48 hours now by the time you hear this, um, where basically Max Caster came out and made some very, um, I'll just blanket, very offensive jokes during uh, his normal um, rap to the ring, you know, jokes at the expense of Simone Biles, at the expense of um, the Duke Lacrosse case, you know, comments that really took uh, took multiple opportunities to punch down at uh, people suffering with mental health issues, people that have suffered from sexual assault, people um, who, uh, you know, people who have dealt with uh, so many, many different things that, you know, aren't really part of... Um, honestly what a heel in pro wrestling should be tapping into in order to generate heat and then don't get me started on the last line the completely misogynistic uh last line um you know all around the whole situation is bad it's bad that max did that in the arena it's bad that that whoever was editing the show let that get past the editing bay and onto the broadcast. Um, you know, I know Tony Khan was out on uh, on Wednesday saying, you know, that he personally is there to edit and sign off on the uh, the final edit for Dynamite as well as Max's raps um, um, that he does on the way to the ring. Before he goes out there, he clears that with Tony and all that good stuff, but apparently this situation was one where Tony wasn't involved, and that uh, kind of led to an unfortunate situation. Um, I guess unfortunate is not even the right word. 
scratch that. No, just a, sh a shitty situation um, with all of this. And, you know, it, it remains to be seen if there's going to be any discipline for Max. I know that AEW has been doing all they can to scrub it from the internet. You know, not just in terms of uh, going back and editing it out of the AEW Dark episode from Tuesday in which it aired. Um, although, as David Bixon's fan pointed out, <laughs> they were a little... Um, the company was a little lazy about it at first, basically just... Uh, you know, not deleting the vid the original file on YouTube, but just uh, making it private, or un just unlisting it rather, um, instead of actually taking it down initially before getting the uh, the the edited version out, and then of course going across social media, and we've seen multiple copyright claims against anybody that did have that clip um, from Tuesday's dark episode, so. I don't know. The optics of it are kind of, of of both hands. Because on one side, like yes, Tony stepped up on Busted Open Radio, took responsibility for it, and, you know, kind of basically said that he was going to take over editing for AEW Dark, which, I don't know, the first thing that rang in my head was like, thinking about Elon Musk talking about, you know, well, if you can't do a job within the companies that he's working for, he'll just fire you and do that job. I'm not comparing Tony Khan to Elon Musk, although I will say there's no good billionaire. But still, um, you know, it just rang that way because I don't necessarily think this is a thing where Tony needs to step in and be, like, the editing person, per se, but just have a bit more control over what's going on on your product. You are the, the head number one person. Like You have to make sure that stuff like this doesn't happen. You know, um, and that kind of leads into the, the other side of it where like, you know, it's, I'm glad that Tony is, you know, being very public facing about this and accepting responsibility for this stuff. But at the same time, it creates a really, really bad optic whenever you're going around trying to basically scrub this off the internet um, while at the same time addressing the issue. Like, yes, it should not necessarily be on... It should not be on the dark broadcast. It should not be on any AEW channels at all. But at the same time, um, <laughs> much like a lot of people have taken issue here and there or a lot of debate has popped up with... Um, st certain uh, offensive moments from WWE's history being erased from the uh, the uploads on Peacock since uh, the WWE Network moved over there. Um, you know, there needs to be some kind of record out there because, you know, there's a chance that this pops up again. You know, and, and I know there's a lot of it's a lot of just people thinking that if the video's gone, it will leave people's minds fairly quickly and we'll just be able to move on from this. And they're definitely right. We've seen that happen um, a lot, you know, outside of, like, communities that are affected by it. What's up? Um, but at the same time, it just... 
I don't know. I'm just it, it frustrates me so much, especially having it happen just a few days after New Japan Pro Wrestling did the same exact thing um without actually addressing the issue at all whenever Evil, you know, dropped the homophobic slur in a post-match press conference at their uh their latest Tokyo Dome show, the Wrestle Grand Slam show. Um you know, they scrubbed the video, they edited that out, but they didn't publicly address it. You know, which again goes to show how like unprecedented AEW's <laughs> and Tony Khan's statements on this Wednesday were. Um, both in terms of like how public they were and how rapid they were. Um, so I don't know. The, the whole situation is, is really... Um, it's really souring in a way. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I've definitely been one of those people that have been very outspoken about the, the progressiveness that we've seen from AEW whenever it comes to the pro wrestling landscape, especially on, like, major television, uh, televised pro wrestling scales. But, um, you it's hard to have that label on it, on, on yourself, whenever you're letting things like this slide through the cracks. I know that no, no person is infallible, um... I know that mistakes are made, but this was egregious, extremely egregious. And um, I will say this, if Max Caster doesn't have some kind of discipline coming his way from the company, because that's another thing that AEW's been a little bit um, lax and also very quiet about letting people know whenever that stuff happens, um, then there are going to be some some serious conversations that are going to have to happen about how AEW handles things internally and, you know, about just how much of a of a breath of fresh air they they are now almost 3 years in to their existence. So, anyway, I said we're going to keep it short and now I'm over like 10 minutes for the intro again. I can never shut up. Here's J-Rose. Listen to my conversation with J-Rose. It's much better than listening to Max Caster. God. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I'm very excited to have as my guest this week someone who is celebrating his fifth year anniversary in the pro wrestling business someone whose voice has been broadcast out on numerous promotions so many promotions i can't name them all but i'll try and throw a few out there game changer wrestling paradigm pro wrestling ohio wrestling alliance black wrestlers matter um there's more i know effie's big gay brunch for the culture uh his creative mind has been put uh into the paradigm pro wrestling ring as well specifically through the no hook project which is two seasons deep at this point and is outstanding. Um, and I, I really don't know how to, to put it. The person who is the single best at introducing Lee Moriarty and Jody, the wrestler, please welcome J-Rose to LGBT in the ring. How are you doing today? We out here, man. I I, I appreciate you. The, the, the Such kind words. Huh? <laughs> I know you said kind words before we hit record, but like, 
I'm, I'm touched. Yeah, I mean, you you are worth it. And also, I did. I even neglect. You've done so much. I neglected to mention all the video work you've done too, which is very specific to my own coming to you. Because I think my first introduction to your work in pro wrestling was the video that you cut for the GCW match down in Austin with Alley Cat and Nick Gage, mm -hmm. um, a, a couple of years back. So like that was the first introduction to who J Rose was. And I was like, who, who is this? And then I saw you popping up more and more on all the shows as I started covering independent pro wrestling more and more. And I don't know, I've just been along for the ride like so many others. And you've been a voice throughout that entire experience. One that has been celebrated by so many uh, within independent pro wrestling circles. So I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to have you on the show. I'm I'm honored to be on and you know to be able to you know be on a platform such as this it's it's humbling you know so I I appreciate you I appreciate you no no and like I said in the intro like you are celebrating five years in, in pro wrestling now uh I know that as we're recording the actual anniversary was yesterday but we're kicking off uh the first day of the next year by doing this podcast here um, talk to me a little bit about the significance of of celebrating that anniversary for you. Well, it was for whatever I know. People talk about patterns and specifically repeating numbers in their lives, and for whatever reason, since I started doing stuff in pro wrestling, five years just kept popping up. Five years, five years, five years. Whether it be from people from where I originally started. Uh, my the people from IWTV, other wrestlers, everybody kept get saying five years, five years. And a lot of that was you're not gonna get the five years, whether it's by you're gonna get ran out or you're gonna figure out that <laughs> this is not something that you want to do by the time you hit five years, if you get the five years. And I can't really adequately put it in the words, but it's something that was always this big not finish line, but check mark that I always thought I would I would need to get to, but it always felt so distant. Now that it's here, it's like, wow, I really made it to this this benchmark that I never thought I would get to. You know, mentioning like all the the people that you experienced that you kind of run in, ran into during that period that kind of spoke of this five year number as like a time like a, a benchmark that you would be like run out of the business before <laughs> um <laughs> one i think it's 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 a very like resounding message that you are here uh right alongside that number there but um talk to me a little bit about like what feelings you're having around like looking back on those people that saw you as as someone that would be um kind of done with wrestling by this point or be forced out of wrestling by this point well more than more than enough of them are like not in wrestling anymore themselves mm, ironic so, oh the irony is not lost on me but uh a lot of them aren't in pro wrestling anymore themselves so it's a matter of well i not to like stomp on anyone's graves where they're figuratively in some cases literally but like I'm still here and not only am I still here I'm still depending on what your terms of success are I'm still <laughs> thriving so it's a it's a weird sort of feeling I, I would have to say mm. I mean I know by my definition I would say that that you're 
at least somewhat thriving at this point. Like you've had a number of successful projects. You're ring announcing all over the place. Like you're working with IWTV, um, you know, your Tiger Driver approved. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're checking all these boxes That's for all, sure. all down the line with, with um, your work. And it only seems to be going up from there. What has it been like for you to kind of be more seen as, or kind of grow into this idea of being a voice for various communities, you know, starting with, you know, Indianapolis and, and the Indiana area where you are from, but then kind of broadening out to the larger independent wrestling world and being seen in that way. So I have a, I truly believe I was put on this planet, not for any other reason, but to understand others or attempt to understand others and help people get to where they want to get. And I also see it as a point to where a lot of this stuff people weren't doing. And I get frustrated very often and be like, well, if no one else is going to do it, I'm just going to do it. So uh, starting with, Indiana, we have, it's the job is nowhere near done, especially the part of Indiana that I'm from because Southern Indiana is covered, more than covered. And Northern Indiana is essentially Chicago. And I mean that to no offense to either, to either side of <laughs> Illinois or Indiana, but Northern Indiana is essentially Chicago. Southern Indiana is more than covered, but Central Indiana is this sort of, still this sort of vacuum where talent goes to exist, not die, not thrive, just exist. And there's a lot of great talents. Like I remember last summer when people were like, oh my goodness, Calvin Tankman's so good. Where did he come from? And I'm just like, I've been trying to tell everyone how good he was for two, three years at that point. Uh, and that sort of energy where it's like, okay, I'll keep yelling, I'll keep screaming until somebody realizes I've just taken that into other things that I'm passionate about. Where When it comes to black wrestlers, I was telling people, oh my God, you need to look at Darius Lockhart. Oh my God, you need to look at uh, Brian Keith. Uh, even before he like blew up in late 2019, oh my God, you need to, uh, where, you need to look at uh, Lee Moriarty. I have a passion for people who seem to be left behind due to no fault of their own. And like, I wanna, I wanna see those people eat. I want to see those people succeed because the talent is there, but do the factors outside of their control, they just don't get that sort of recognition. You know, that, that idea of kind of taking what you don't see happening in pro wrestling and just taking it upon yourself to make it happen in the way that you see it should has become a common refrain over the past few years when it comes to, you know, whether it be queer pro wrestling or wrestlers of color or, you know, women wrestlers as well. Basically anybody who's not a cishet white dude in pro wrestling, um, these communities have really taken it upon themselves to carve out their own spaces. And we're seeing those, um, like the sewing starting to be reaped here and all the uh, success that we've had. I mean, Juneteenth weekend is not something that would have happened um, come like maybe like even two years ago, I think, uh, in, if not for the shifts in culture that we've seen in pro wrestling, you wouldn't have the big gay brunch. You wouldn't have, um, Paris is bumping. You wouldn't have Butch versus Gore, you know, all these, all these shows that are out there that are really showing that these communities that have been ignored by the larger pro wrestling world for a long time do have something to contribute. 
what has it been like for you to kind of see that attitude that you've taken upon yourself for there in, in middle Indiana and, and see it kind of pop up for all these other communities as well, which you are also a part of. It's, I don't, I, it's not, I wouldn't say it, it's as much as I'm taking what I was doing in Indiana and applying it. Well, that's true, but I would say more so than that, it's finding other like-minded individuals who feel the exact same way like uh he <laughs> love him or hate him and i i love him dearly but like me and aj gray share a lot of the same thoughts when it comes to you know representation of black folk in pro wrestling uh same with me and effie same with myself and billy dixon like it's more so finding other people who share the same passion that you do. Because as far as it goes with Indiana, I could, I've learned at a certain point, I can scream, I can yell, I can do as much as I want, but unless other people are willing to rally around whatever movement I'm trying to start, it's not going to matter. And finding other people who are that passionate about representation as far as it goes with black and queer people in pro wrestling, that's been the key. Because I could yell and scream all I want. and I've, I've done that and it hasn't meant anything uh because i didn't have the platform and now finding people who all those people have far bigger platform than i but combining what my passion of what i know with these other entities creates something far larger than it would be if we were all separate hmm. no it's very true like you make a good point yeah i think that honestly i think that's one of the things that's kind of really helped with the explosion in in the presence of queer identities and, and black pro wrestlers and you know all these different communities that have been underserved kind of burgeoning up is that they're creating their own spaces but they're also kind of pulling in support from other places that do want to kind of elevate those voices as well you know without a, a service like IWTV like how how much um how broad of an audience do you pull in for for shows like the Cassandra Cup? Um, right. You know, it, I know that there are definitely criticisms against Brett Lauderdale and GCW, but choosing to do the Big Gay Brunch uh, multiple times for, for the third time coming up in Chicago in September, um, it does like bring new identities and expose a GCW audience that, let's be real, is not necessarily like all the way there for for queer uh, wrestlers for the most part. I mean, Effie and Allie have done amazing there. Um, and frontman Jossie is getting some opportunities now. That's that's awesome to see. But um, historically, it just hasn't been there. But the Big Gay Brunch exposes them to um, audiences, or uh, not audience, exposes them to identities that they maybe don't have in their regular life. Um, how important is it for you to see like those figures that are outside of the, those communities um, offer a supportive voice? So, and this is a big thing. I, uh, I tried to allude to it, but I've never got a chance to like fully describe like my thoughts on it. But I, uh, I said it at the end of the Polyam cult party show that I announced the third one, I believe. Yes. Uh, I want it to be in a position to where we can both have spaces for us, by us. You know what I'm saying? People that are led, that are 
spaces that are built from community leaders in order to create something of our own, where everybody can come to it, but this is something that we built of our own, while still being able to infiltrate isn't the wrong isn't is the wrong word because it feels <laughs> far more sinister, but <laughs> infiltrate the spaces that are just considered regular wrestling. As much as I'm proud of the work that I've done with the black show and the queer shows, I want it to be to where those things can exist, but they don't have to. Uh, I believe we're in the, like, the beginning steps of making people realize that this is not something that you have to exploit because the money will be there year round. The money to the sport will be there year round if you use these talents and these people year round. And it isn't, the shows themselves shouldn't exist not only just to check off a box, they should exist because they're, you're, it is a, above all else, these wrestling shows should be good wrestling shows and they are. So if they're good wrestling shows and they just happen to be all black or all queer, why not add these, the black talents and the queer talents to the rest of the wrestling shows that you see? That's the whole point. And I've seen that a lot of people have started to come around on that message. And it's something that you still have to fight for because now people are like, well, you have your own stuff. Why do you care so much that so-and-so isn't on filling the blank platform? And I'm, that was never the point. The platform is the platform and I'm excited that it exists, but the bigger part of it is to make it, is to normalize it, to have all these sort of people to coexist without it having to be a big deal. And, you know, it's, it's the same way that like, I'm always instinctively, no matter what, if I'm looking at a competition, whether it's wrestling, sports, whatever it may be, if I'm looking at a competition and I know somebody, if I see somebody's black or I know somebody's queer, I'm going to be cheering for them, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, whether I want to, whether I choose to or not you can garner that same level of support for your everyday product. So as much as I, as much as I love all the stuff that we're doing, the bigger overall goal for me is to try and make that happen all the time. No. And, and I think that's, I would think that, especially talking to the people that are in those, um, those roles as like community leaders or as like, you know, creatives in, in these areas, like I feel like that is the similar goal because you know, the same complaints that we've made, you know, I've made, you've made so many other people in these communities have made coming out of, especially Tampa this year is like, why aren't more of these people that really stole so, so many shows down there in that GCW ring on more shows in, in the way that, that, that they are, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Dark Sheik and Devon Monroe have also been making strides in that company specifically. And I don't mean to focus so much on GCW. I think they're just like one of the main companies that they gets get a picked lot of on play. because they're top, they're at the top of the they're exactly. at the top of the pegging order. And this goes this goes as far to like other companies that I work for. You know, I'm and this is not to pick on GCW because you know they gave me and AJ the platform to do what I do, and I'm do what we do it uh, for the culture. So I'm not. This isn't they're always going to catch the majority of the flat because they're at the top. But this can extend to a multitude of other companies. I'm not going to name any names because I don't, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but like it's, it's a problem all across the board. And I think something that gets lost in translation and something that I struggled with, especially with like 
doing no hook and things of that regard is that there are companies who are doing what I'm saying and doing what people are, are asking of GCW and they're simply not getting the level of support and traction that the people who are begging people are begging GCW to do this stuff and if you're frustrated with GCW and I, they've started doing it but if you're frustrated with GCW there are other companies who are doing what you want to do and you can still support GCW and ask them of the things that you're asking for but like not to i'm using myself as an example but paradigm has been quietly quietly booking all sorts of black talent far before this became a big selling point or a big topic of conversation we gave the title to aj gray when nobody gave a shit on a larger scale i don't know if i can curse i'm sorry you can curse you're good <laughs> nobody gave a shit about aj gray outside of the people who really knew how good of a talent he was uh you get places like uh glory pro who recently has been trying to uh another person another company who was giving stuff to aj Gray before anybody cared about him uh places like uh uh wow my mind just went blank but there are a multitude <laughs> of different companies uh places like action who and i will who's run by a cis white cis straight white male but they put a queer black man as their champion for two years and no one like it's not talked about outside of you know the general circle that action exists in and they did it in the south that takes that's bold like the deep south right outside of atlanta that's bold very and no one particularly talks about it these places exist and i know we should be demanding things from the industry leaders and gcw is an industry leader but the change that you want to see is happening support the change as you see it happening other places no for sure and i i know i can help you out with some names as well that i've seen in that same regard pro wrestling magic pizza party wrestling new wave pro even like they've they've really taken a, a a substantial approach to featuring talents that are very familiar to the paradigm audience. You know, Conley has been there. I know Miles has been there. Um, I, oh, I had, there was another one that was just in my head and ran out of my brain. I swear. Ace Perry. There we go. Ace Perry is another one, you know, like, so there are companies that are taking this approach. They just don't have the same um, sort of like broadcast that GCW does. And I'm with you on action as well. Like I'm from Georgia originally. I'm, I mm -hmm. lived in that Atlanta area for like 11 years or so. And if, before I moved out to the West coast, if you had told me that there was going to be a new indie company out in the outside of Atlanta that had their first champion be a queer black man for two plus years, I would, I would not have believed it. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> just personally, like I, I would have loved it. I, I, and I loved every bit of AC max title run there, but I'd never like, it's one of those things that would just been like, I'll believe it when I see it, you know? So I'm with you on that as well. I guess coming out of that, like, let's talk a little bit about paradigm because like before you mentioned it in, in terms of, you know, the idea of booking queer and black talent before the, the kind of the cultural shift that we've seen um, paradigm has been doing that for a long time and they continue to do that. Um, whether it be for the UDF, UWFI contender series or the uh, or no hook or just the tr more traditional paradigm shows that, that y'all do, um, there's there's definitely been a um, a visual commitment 
to bringing in diverse talents there. Um, what? Why do you think that that approach? Well, not necessarily why. That's the bad. That's a bad question. Let me back that off. Um, talk to me a little bit about beginning that process and beginning to work with Paradigm and and um, what you wanted to do with the company when, whenever you did start uh, working with them. So, my journey with Paradigm is is it's kind it's a little interesting because originally, uh, I was. <laughs> ironic in the re-conversations that people have been having about uh wrestling recently but i was hired on to do video work and like these the paradigm office were my friends we used to go to i do a mid-south shows in uh before they started paradigm so they were always my friends it became uh, once they started up the company, they started in October 2017. I came on board in December 2017. And I was supposed to do video work, but eventually just got to the point where it was like, I got so invested in the shows that for lack of a better term, I became a plant. And I was still <laughs> doing my video work and whatnot, but like I was extremely invested in what all they were doing. Uh, I, trans I went from uh, doing that to doing social media from being uh, in social media to managing uh, the tag team of IFHY, which included my best friend on the entire planet, Sean Kemp. They lost the Loser Leafs Town match, and I just kind of stuck around. At this point, while all this is happening congruently, I had started ring announcing and doing other on-screen talent stuff. So I just transitioned from that role into the current ring announcing role. And near the end of 2019, uh, restructuring isn't the right word because nothing particularly changed, but I got added onto uh, creative. And I would say everything from December 2019 until this last July show, I have had a ginormous hand in doing. And my biggest thing, and I said it on Twitter countless times, is my biggest, my biggest goal in paradigm is to get more girls more gays, more theys, because black people were never an issue with paradigm. We, it was all, it, it got to the point where it would be, there would be uh, a choice between a smaller, uh, not well as known white straight wrestler and then a blacker queer talent. And they would purposely book the blacker queer talent at a known loss of money because it was just, better that way uh and i feel like over the course of the pandemic no one has leveled up their stock both in terms of actual in-ring product and especially in terms of representation than us uh for and this isn't to say that we are the perfect promotion because we do a lot of dumb shit <laughs> uh there are a bunch of booking decisions, not as much business, but a lot of booking decisions that we make that looking back on is like, well, maybe we shouldn't have done that. But no one has upped their stock and made a commitment into trying to be more diverse and more unique than any other professional wrestling promotion on the planet and paradigm, whether it be from the people that we book, the type of matches that we do, the form in which we release our content, no one is trying to do as many different things as we are. And 
Well, fortunately and unfortunately, when we started doing it, the different thing to do was to book queer talent. And now I feel like we've started leading a charge into normalizing doing that. The same thing I was talking about earlier. Uh, whereas like we, we, there was, we'd made zero big deal about it, but uh, one, the main event of one of like the second to last episode of UWFI Contender season two was Jordan Blade and Max Dean Paler. And it was two non-binary people in a shoot style wrestling match. And I think that's the first time that's ever happened in pro wrestling. And it was just another day at the office for us. Uh, that That's just what we do. And I, I could be, I'm trying to rack my brain because I could be wrong about this. No, every single champion in paradigm right now is either black or queer. Every single one. Hmm. Uh, Myron, Awesome Odyssey, Chain, uh, both UWFI belts, all of them are black or queer. Every single one. And I've taken a hiatus from the company because it was doing all that and trying to fight what's seeming to be an uphill battle as far as it, not not so much internally, but with the rest of the wrestling world, it's like, hey, look at this. Look at what we're trying to do. It's drained me immensely mentally, mm. but I, I'm so proud of the leaps and bounds that we made since the pandemic started because it's almost an entirely different company and we're far better off for it. No, I, I agree with, with you on that. Like watching Paradigm throughout the pandemic has been one of the, my personal treats, honestly, because it's it's just it's a company that has a lot of uh, the mindset that I like with pro wrestling. You know, they're y'all are willing to try new things. They are willing to put out different ideas and toy around with different ideas, different characters and bringing in a diverse group that honestly, at this point, from what you said, doesn't even really hit you as this monumental thing or something to really brag about. It's just what should be done. You know, it really reflects the attitude that I think a lot of the movements in pro wrestling now want to have when it comes to a company that isn't like explicitly 100% run by an underrepresented identity um, in pro wrestling. Right. And, and not only is it like, it is a cross that we're with. It, I think paradigm should be a proof to everyone because we would do it because it's a cross that we're willing to bear. It's a risk that we're willing to take because it's the right thing to do, especially compared to a lot of other promotions in our home area that don't do what we do. We would rather die trying to be different and trying to represent, you know, underrepresented groups than continue the status quo. But we have become the most successful promotion, the most, I would say the fastest rising promotion in the country on the, I don't like the way this is worded, but on the backs of black and queer talent. And not because we were trying to be like, hey, look at us, we're so diverse, because the show was just that good. <laughs> and if we can do that, and we're like a mid-tier indie i know our place we're the we're the spot that you go to if you want to get into the gcw's the aiw's the upper echelon of independent wrestling i understand that but if you want to get if if you want to up your stock this is the way to do it the talent is out there and they're 
not being booked. <laughs> There's a lot of talent who we use that is baffling that they aren't used more places. But that's the recipe for success. And that's, that has been my biggest message that I've tried to get across to people. This is the, it can be done. We went from a promotion that did on little to no numbers on IWTV to doing, well, I, for legal reasons, I cannot disclose <laughs> the specifics, but to doing absolutely incredible numbers during the pandemic. It can work. People just got to take the risk. <laughs> no, I, I, it's awesome to see, really. It really is. Um, I do want to talk to you a little bit more in depth about No Hook, though. Um, but before we get there, another thing that is a personal thing for me is mm -hmm. what has been watching Paradigm kind of open up this, uh, this highway between itself and the Pacific Northwest. Um, <laughs> because, like, I, it has not escaped me being in, in Portland seeing people like like Jaden, like, uh, you know, Max Burnside, you know, the simp for the business crew, like all of these people from the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest, making their way to Paradigm and really like carving out their own place there um, to the point where y'all are now coming out here to work with Without a Cause coming up uh, later on this year and in a, a co-sponsored show from what I understand. So, um, Talk to me a little bit, a bit about opening up that pipeline a bit. Like, what was it about the the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest scene that really uh, flipped the switch for you? So, I don't know if you know this, but I fucking love professional wrestling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you fooled me. Oh, the hot take, but I really like professional wrestling. Um, and I would say, because especially with my position at IWTV, I watch far more promotions than almost than most anybody that you or anyone else would know. And I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, two very important things happened. Uh, one, IWTV started showing uh, Defy every night. They would show the Defy weekly show every single night. And every single night, I would watch the Fire Wrestling Show. I'd be like, this is the greatest wrestling scene on the planet. Uh, and the second very important thing is that uh, I remember that Jody, way back in like March or April, was like, I'm tired of being treated like a joke. And both of those things really like resonated with me because that's how I felt trying to put the Indiana scene on to try and tell people, hey, look at what we're doing in Central Indiana. Look at what we're doing in Central Indiana. There's really good people here. Please pay attention. And that's the Pacific Northwest. And seeing the plight of Jody and the rest of his crew to try and be like, we want, we, we just want to wrestle. And our scene isn't giving us the necessary tools, time, and space to be able to do what we need to do to level up as performers also resonated with me because that's something I still actively struggle with with the rest of my scene locally here. So I, when we decided that we were going to do tapings, uh, I told Jody, I was like, hey, uh, you tell me you and your, you and whoever else, who should we book? And 
if you let him tell the story, he says, and this isn't like a lie or nothing, but he told he's he's told me after the fact that like Laz from the tag team creature feature from S4TV, he and Jody are best friends, and he didn't really know Adriel and Sandra, but those are the four like those are the three people that he chose, and like from that from them being the barometer because i was like if this doesn't work i cannot convince them to try and take a risk on anybody from the pacific northwest but luckily on two fronts one those vegas kids killed it two uh i have a previously established relationship with sonica and Mm. while we were planning all this sonica uh came and did the paradigm show the first paradigm show in indianapolis uh last october so from there that opened up a bigger broader spectrum so now the standard operating procedure here at paradigm is like if you want in pull up i don't because once again we're a mid-tier indie i can't guarantee much as far as it goes with money and we'll work well nobody will ever leave with my by the grace of god no one will ever leave by uh (laughs) leave with a loss but if you want if you want an opportunity if you want to pull up the DMs to the company are always open. If you're willing to take the risk and say, I want to work, you going to fucking work. And I think that everyone from your neck of the woods that we've brought in has benefited immensely from being able to be with the regular Midwest people. No, I mean, it's definitely played out in that way. You know, I, I've seen multiple people, specifically Adriel, like voice about like wanting to move to indiana now <laughs> it's uh it's a it's a not a curse but it's a it's a reoccurring thing to where uh with sonico being the first one um people who come and visit indiana for a weekend right to actually have to stay in indiana end up falling in love with our scene now which is really crazy because Indiana, there is no real training school. So you're really just falling in love with the people and the promotions. Uh, and from everyone from Sonico, Jaden, all four Vegas kids. Uh, and now uh, just as recently, like Daniel Garcia. And there's somebody else that I'm forgetting. But a whole lot of people are like, oh, it's wonderful here. It's there is a there is a philosophy that we have in Indiana, and it's called Night Four, and Night Four stems from a joke where it's like uh, PWG's Battle of Los Angeles is Night Three, and in PWG you go hard as fuck, but we're gonna go so hard that <laughs> they're gonna have to create an entirely new night for us, Night Four, and that philosophy, that energy, is contagious. Where it's like, even if I'm not doing what I need to do you're going to get better. Even if I don't shine, you're going to shine. And that energy is contagious. It's almost unlike anywhere else that I've been around across the country. This air of we're all going to bring each other up. If one of us eats, all of us eats. And now it's a sort of philosophy that's spreading out across. Because now Jayton's talking about these projects that I'm not, I cannot say (laughs) up in your neck of the woods that he's trying to get uh, off the ground. I know the S4 TV kids are doing uh, the Grab House promotion, which is an extension of the same energy of what we had going on at Paradigm. 
it's all interconnected and it all stems from what we're trying to build here in Indiana. Mm. No, I mean, it really seems like the, the culture that, that has really kind of uh, been cultivated there in, in Indiana is starting to permeate all the people that seem to come into contact with it and they're bringing it back home, whether they want to move to Indiana or not, you know, like they, they definitely take a, a piece of it back with them. And, you know, I'm very excited to hear that Jaden has some secret projects coming up because uh, I, I cannot <laughs> reveal, but he's working on some, uh, you know, it's fine. I am a patient person. I can, <laughs> I can hold off a bit as long as there's a promise. Cause like, trust me, I have been itching for some, some Portland, or Pacific Northwest for wrestling to get back to it uh, that I can be at. So all in on that. Real quick, shouts out Judas Icarus. He's one of my mm. favorite wrestlers. And, <laughs> and when when everything comes back to normal, that is the first person. Him and Daniel Makabe are like the two people from the Pacific Northwest. I was like, everyone needs to book them. Hell They're yes. So good. Oh my God. I, oh, now I'm thinking. <laughs> one of the last matches I went to was uh, well, it wasn't one of the last matches, but one of the one of the first matches I went to when I moved out here was uh, Daniel Maccabi versus Effie uh, for a company called oh, DOA out here. I've seen that match. Yeah, that was a hell of a match, honestly, <laughs> personally. Like I really enjoyed it, so I am all in on on Maccabi. Hopefully, we'll see him down at SCI uh, later on. All right, Yens. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at Quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment, sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. Um, but let's get to No Hook, though, because I think that, that if people didn't have Paradigm on their radar before No Hook, no hook pulled a lot of people in. Um, I think it, it, the mixture of hip hop, the the difference in presentation, like using like taking promos away from a video element and putting them into a strict audio form to kind of lend to that 
um, like hip hop aspect of it, um, almost seeming like skits on on an on album in the way that they came across. And then also just the, the imaginative um, and out of the box, like storyline stuff that was there as well as some more grounded stuff in it as well. Talk to me a little bit about the idea behind No Hook and, and what the process was like for you to kind of get that onto the air. So No Hook is my baby. Like, and sometimes, you know, my, my uh, let it be known that my child gets a little unruly and, <laughs> you know, I need to put it in timeout and take a step back and breathe. But uh, that is my baby. And as much as this is my baby, I cannot stress enough, as much as I may be the face or the brain behind No Hook, it could not have happened without the rest of the Paradigm team. Uh, Doug Vota, Cam Adams, uh, my boy Duncan and uh, Gary. They are the, they essentially were like, we believe in you, take this, go. Um, so is it is I have to stress this because I, I don't want it to feel like no hook is all me because it is a lot me, but <laughs> uh, I cannot, I could not have done this without them. It was them saying like, do what you, you have a vision, accomplish the vision and no hook is two parts me taking everything that i thought was cool as a kid and me staying awake at night staring at the ceiling and asking myself what can i do differently uh so like i'm a big fan my biggest inspiration for any sort of art that i do is Toonami, the anime block on Cartoon Network that used to come on like from 97 to 2008. Uh, it is the biggest creative inspiration for me because a lot of what they did was not so much, hey, can does this make sense? The first question was, is it cool? And then if it was cool, they made it make sense afterwards. So, uh, the everything started with the pilot because the pilot was shot right before the first season of UWF High Contenders, and uh, the original plan, and I and I have to stress this to everyone because I through the pilot, the filming of season one and the filming of season two, the original premise for No Hook is that it was supposed to be vignette based, and mm. it was supposed to be scenes and actual promos. The issue was that because I was announcing, I couldn't go and direct the vignettes and the promos, so they never got shot. And the thing that people loved the most about No Hook, the audio promos, was not done by choice. It was done out of necessity. Uh, and I could have had like people send in promos like a ton of other promotions do. Like They film them on their own, they send it back to me, I edit it into the final edit. But like that's not cool that's been done before um so first it was figuring out okay let's do audio promos and then giving context to the audio promos so there was a general for the first season no hook there was a story plan with matches and originally there was supposed to be vignettes shot in tune with the matches the vignettes didn't get shot 
So I had to rewrite portions of the story based around the matches that we already had filmed. Because it's not like we could go back and film more matches. But what I could do is write stories around the matches that already exist. So, for example, originally in No Hook Season 1 with the whole chain theft where it goes from vacant to Broadway to Tankman to Broadway stealing the chain back to Jody stealing it from Broadway in the finale. Originally, that was supposed to be Chase Holiday, who was the chain holder, losing, losing the chase, losing the chain to Tankman, Tankman losing the Broadway, and a Broadway getting the chain stole by Jody. Chase couldn't be there for some reason. I don't remember. So I had to not only rewrite it on the fly, but then rewrite the story afterwards to make it fit. But like the bigger philosophy around all of it is that a lot of independent wrestling companies can have good matches. A lot of independent wrestling companies do have good matches. But the most popular period of wrestling, the 90s, the Attitude Era, uh, the things that stick out as far as that goes are the hijinks, right? So uh, if I could somehow mix the hijinks of a 99 Raw, the story and hijinks of a 99 Raw, where it's like cheating, dark magic, cult shit, uh, uh, corporate backstabbing, and all the and like all this other stuff, and combine it with WWE uh, velocity, Sunday Night Heat style, indie style, good wrestling, then we would have something on our hands. And then the hip hop was the thing that tied it all together. So now it's wrestling with a soundtrack. It's wrestling that has an identity. It. I could draw No Hook as a person. It is, it is somebody with a, he looks like a character from NBA Street V2 or Def Jam Vendetta. Now the show has an identity, has a feeling. More people can identify with something that has a common emotion instead of just continuing to throw out wrestling matches. Because No Hook could have just been matches and it would have been just as good. If not just as good, but the matches would have been just as good. It's the story, the the auxiliary stuff that made it special. That made it different. And that's all I ever wanted it to be. Different. No, and I, it comes across in that way. I think all of the, the uh, I don't want to call it like window dressing because it's so much more than that. But like all of the outside of the ring elements really enhance all the in-ring stuff, you know, in the way that a good pro wrestling presentation should. Um, I do have to ask you about two specific things, though, from season one. Okay. Um, one, I need to know where the idea for the elbow pad came from. Okay. And two, how did you convince Jerry to canonize Wheeler Yuta completely glitching out IWTV? Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, there was, when I first started putting like pen to paper, there were a few things that I knew I wanted to do. The first thing is that I wanted Jody to wrestle more matches during no hook than anyone, because I wanted to prove that even though like Jody, Jody as it stands right now is not a technician. I would never, I would never be like, and he would tell you that too. He's not, 
He's not the the wrestler dude. That's not who he is. But he's also not a glorified manager. Uh, so I'll, I'll come back to that. The second thing I knew that I wanted to do is that I wanted to, if I was going to be a part of the show, I wanted to be the cause of everything wrong. Because I see too far often in independent promotions that like the people who are in leadership positions are also the conquering heroes. I never want to be a conquering hero. In my mind, that was the manifestation of how I, part of my brain views myself. I am a fuck up. I'm not ready to be in the positions that I have. So I'm going to figure out a way to salvage the inevitable fuck up that I do. And the third thing I knew I wanted is that I knew I wanted uh, Jerry involved. Some way, shape, or fashion, I was convinced <laughs> that I needed to have him involved. Uh, and then after that came, okay, I want to book these New York kids. I want to book. I want to make sure that Don't Die Miles is essentially the main character, and he has an entire arc. So then even coming out of the pandemic, we can do stuff as far as it goes with Miles because he's grown as a character. But those are the big three things. Uh, with Jody not being the work rate monster. <laughs> that you know we all know that he isn't like i had to figure out a way to convincibly make sure that jody could beat these people without him being wacky roll-up guy uh so i remember uh back in chikara there was this item called the eye of tear and the eye of tear hypnotized people and it was essentially the main item that like fueled Chikara storylines from 2006 all the way into like 2015. <laughs> a decade worth of stories was told with this one item. So it's like, if I can, if they could do a decade with one item, I can get through a season building it off of it. So I knew from, and it's been revealed, so I can talk about, I can finally talk about it freely. <laughs> I knew that I wanted there to be a higher power and there to be an even higher power above that and that I can't talk about because you know we're not there yet but yeah. I always knew that I wanted a higher power somebody that was smarter than everyone else and then eventually when they got revealed it would be this big deal so and I from day one I said I want Sophie King to be this person because I know I knew Sophie and for like forever and I knew that they were attempting to try and not be trivialized as like the woman's wrestler. They wanted to be, do all this weird stuff, especially considering that they were non-binary. They just want to be considered as a performer. So I was like, okay, I know that Sophie can kill this. I just got to make it make sense to get to the point where Sophie can do it. The rest of the team was like, well, what if we made it somebody else? Like, for example, this is, uh, there was talks about the higher power being uh, Darius Carter, which like would have been cool. And I know he would have made it work, but <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why different. would he be involved? In the, <laughs> why would that, why would he be involved in dark magic? Uh, so I had to figure out a way to make it as nondescript as possible. Well, let's make it about myself again. What what would fuck me up in the head that somebody would be trying to do dark magic? Well, what if they impersonated my real life partner? What if they what if they did that? I was like, well, no, that that, that doesn't make sense because then you would automatically figure that out. It's like, well, what if it was their partner doing a Russian accent? Okay, 
whatever sure and uh from there it's like okay so what can we we have we have the setup what can jody do in order to win all these matches well coincidentally enough jody's actual finish is an elbow strike (laughs) but jody is the skinniest wrestler i've ever met in my life so and he was he told me he had a a (laughs) a hard time getting over this finish because everyone was like it's not believable for this small ass dude to be killing people with a strike i was like okay well what if there was an item that could convince people that he could knock these people out and then by the end of it he knocked somebody out without the elbow pad, which would then legitimize the finish. So that's, <laughs> that is the origin story of the elbow pad. As far as getting Jerry to do it, it's been, I was hired by IWTV in mid 2019, like around G- May, June-ish. And since the very first day that I came into the IWTV digital offices, I'm like, so when are you coming back? <laughs> <laughs> when are you gonna when are you gonna wrestle like that? <laughs> and I can't speak on it for reasons, but once upon a time there was a plan for him to come back and wrestle again. Oh wow. I don't know where that plan stands right now. Actually I kind of do, but I can't speak on it. But uh I was like, okay, well if you're not going to come back, I'm still going to work with Vin Gerard, whether you want whether you're gonna wrestle or not. <laughs> so I had to figure out the plan was always for Jerry to be involved if he was willing to do it, and he was. So then it was like, okay, well, how can I get Jerry involved? Because he could be the higher power, but he's not going to return to wrestling, so that's not a thing. And I realized if I could do something involving IWTV, then <laughs> if I could do something involving IWTV, then I could get Jerry, and he could play Vin Gerard but acting in the duties of doing Jerry. Cool. So what possibly could happen to make Jerry become Ben Gerard again and like ream me for fucking something up? Well, what if the site itself got hacked into? Okay, cool. Well, who's going to hack into the site? Well, the only... As soon as I asked myself that question, it became clear. At the end of The Masked Wrestler, Yuta, who already has a pseudo-hacker gimmick, was frustrated because Lee Moriarty gets handed everything. We use Lee Moriarty. I'm an IWTV employee. And we have a literal living computer program in Kai Faden on the roster already. So if I could take all these separate elements and roll it into one, there's something there. And now it's gotten to the point where through this tiny little, through the beginning part of, hey, uh, I want Jerry as a part of this stupid TV show. We've gotten to the point now where actually now Glitch is uh, tapping into the demonic arts and all this other stuff that he took the ball and ran with. And now IDBTV took the ball with the Yuta thing and they ran with it. And it all began with, I just want to work with my boss. <laughs> it's really interesting to hear how all these things kind of evolved into what they are, you know, because 
Like I really have enjoyed the the journey that that Kai has been on character wise throughout throughout the series. You know, ultimately like ending up where he's at, tapping into these demonic powers, tapping into like basically like giving himself over to the higher power in the form of Sophie, and then whoever is above Sophie. Um, like it's I don't know it's it's wild and really interesting, and I think it's it's the kind of wrestling product that can appeal to so many different people especially people that aren't necessarily tapped into pro wrestling and really in like a hardcore way right the yeah. way that i've come to explain it to people is that no hook is the final fantasy 7 of professional wrestling so <laughs> allow good. me to explain oh no please do but before i say <laughs> that <"Mwah." laughs> now i've 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 never finished Final Fantasy VII. I've started it, but I've never finished it. The reason is I hate turn-based RPGs. Like, I don't blame people who do enjoy it, but I, I don't like turn-based video game RPGs. I've played a little bit of tabletop stuff, but I don't like video game RPGs. I'm watching you do it. Let me do it. With, like, Pokemon, which is baby's first RPG, turn-based RPG, and, like, the Paper Mario, Mario Mini. Luigi series being, I digress. Uh, but the thing that kept me playing Final Fantasy VII is that I wanted to know what the fuck happened to Cloud. That was... <laughs> <laughs> and I also know people who really love turn-based RPGs but think the Final Fantasy VII story is stupid. <laughs> and they just play it for the, uh, for the actual gameplay part, which is baffling to me, but whatever. So my theory is... If I can hook you in on the story, you'll you at most learn to love the wrestling matches and at least suffer through them to see what happens to the characters that you enjoy. If you're a fan of the wrestling, you'll sit through the story to figure out why the hell this match is happening. That's my that is that is my philosophy on it. If I can get you hooked on one or the other, whether it be through the story and the presentation or through the actual genuinely good wrestling, if I can hook you through one, you're gonna sit through the other. And that's so, uh, and that's also in terms of the matches itself. If you don't like Jody doing a comedy match with a magic elbow pad <laughs> uh, against a Charlie Cruel, who is a semi demon witch lady who really who's really in the Pop Tarts, fine, sit through that for five minutes. And then after that, you're going to get Calvin Tateman versus Ken Broadway. And that's going to be really good. And that's going to be why you continue to watch the show. If I can give you, if I can give one audience something that they're able to love, hopefully they'll be able to sit through the rest of it to get to another part that they love, which is also to our detriment because we probably could have uh, made more money this way announcing all the matches ahead of time. I wouldn't announce, I would only announce like two or three matches. There'd be like six matches during a week and I would only announce two. So the, and then announce a bunch of names. So then I would have one match that would appeal to one audience, one match to appeal to another. And then you would have to sit through the rest to figure out what else the hell we're going to do. Which mm. also led to the rise of Alex Kane. Because then it became to the point where, where I would watch it with other people. Alex Kane would pop up on screen and they'd be like, oh shit, someone's going to die. <laughs> Which is exactly the reaction I wanted. 
Yeah, to be fair, that is the uh, accurate response to seeing Alice Kane show up on your television screen. Which is like, and if you don't know that he's going to be, if you don't know what he's doing, the context of what he's doing on the show, then it's it's always, it's the Royal Rumble pop, except every week. And I can get away with it now. Uh, but that's what kept it fresh and kept it exciting. So if you, if I can keep, if I can lock you in for one thing, hopefully you're going to stick around to see more of the thing that you like. And it worked. Cause I had like, MLJ is a, not a wrestling purist, but like MLJ, I talked to him often and he's like, dog, I don't really get this Jody stuff, <laughs> but you got Ken Broadway. So I'm in. <laughs> On the flip side, I talked to Elm a whole lot and like, uh, um, wrestling fan Elm out of Indiana. I love you, darling. And they're always like, hey, I, I've learned to love the wrestling matches, but like this elbow pad shit fucking rules. <laughs> or uh, me arguing with Jerry. That's amazing. And as long as I can keep getting more of that, I'll try to comprehend and understand the stuff that doesn't really intrigue me as much on paper. Mm-hmm. It's bringing audiences together. Exactly. That's what, that's what it is, and that's what pro wrestling should be. It's a, it's a, it's a petri dish. Maybe, maybe with the recent, you know, things <laughs> in the news, that isn't the right, that isn't the best vocabulary. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a melting pot. That's, there that's we go. That's the that's best. Better. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fondue restaurant. Um, no, uh, no, I, I honestly like I can't say enough good things about No Hook, honestly. And, and you know, it, I thoroughly enjoyed Jody's story. I really enjoyed Miles' story. Um, and what I also would have enjoyed coming out of No Hook and coming out of what we've seen with Paradigm, so many people that have been involved with Paradigm starting to get larger stages now off of their work at Paradigm and other places. Obviously, Calvin Tankman, Alex Kane, Lee Moriarty, all getting the call by MLW. Um, Jody has shown up all over the place now. Um, I, I, his match with Envy Young at the, that uh, third polyam cult party, um, mm-hmm. I think very much was along the same vein as you talked about where like Jody wanted to be taken seriously. And I think that Jody opened up a lot of eyes on that show in particular coming out of his work on No Hook. So I, I honestly feel like, like Paradigm and No Hook and so much of what you've been doing it's really has built up a lot of names uh, coming out uh, from working at the company. What's it been like for you to kind of see all these people that, you know, you've worked with and are close with kind of getting these larger stages now? Uh, it means that everything is going according to plan, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> like these are my peers. These are my friends. And I'm like, there's nobody who was used in No Hook that I don't want to see succeed. Like, even th- there were some people who, like, I personally didn't book, but they were still a part of the show. And I, there's nobody who I n- did not want to see proceed. Even if we aren't, like, n- I, this isn't to say that like, I, I don't like anybody who was on No Hook, but even if we aren't, like, close friends, everybody who was booked for No Hook, I wanted there specifically to up their own stock. Uh, so to see, I think the biggest benefactor from beneficiary, whatever, whatever word it goes there, I'm tired. Uh, the biggest person who 
had gained the positive from the song is Sandra Moon because nobody really knew who Sandra Moon was. Like they were doing championship wrestling from Hollywood and they just come off an injury. So they were relatively unknown. And now like, to be real with you, I think that especially in terms in contrast to her experience Rebel, she is one of the biggest women's wrestling prospects on the planet. She's so good. Uh, other people like uh, like Broadway was used on GCW, I believe the week or two weeks after we started, we finished filming season one of No Hook. So it's not like I was like I was his big platform, but like it's a body of work that he was able to display and then send it to other people because he he was the king of New York, but most of his amazing stuff that he did with like House of Glory is under video lock and key. So nobody was able to see it. Same with somebody like Charles Mason or um, Don't Die Miles, somebody who I've known since my very first day in pro wrestling. He was the semi, no, he was the third to last match on the very first wrestling show I went to the from July 29th, 2016. And he blew me away. And to like, for him to bide his time, build himself from the ground up, to be able to give him that platform, that's the goal. That's all I want. Like even more, cause I don't, not to be like get down on myself or whatever, but I don't know what my place in pro wrestling is. I have goals and whatnot, but I don't, I don't know what I'm here to do. But above all else, if I'm able to get the people who I see have the talent to give them the platform to get where they need to get, that's what matters to me. No, I, I think that that's a admirable goal to have in this. You know, I think it's not always about necessarily like knowing the exact place that you want to go, but more so like what you want to do um, in, in the means of getting there. So I totally feel you on that. Um, and bringing up Miles, like that's someone who it's, you know, you said yourself, you're very close with like your journey in pro wrestling is very much synced to him as well. And, you know, we had him on the show a few months back and, and he highlighted you as, as one of the motivating forces for him on, on the, in his career, you know, um, I know he's on hiatus as well right now. And, and, you know, hopefully he will, he's doing better and, and we'll see him, you know, doing whatever he wants to do pro wrestling wise coming up. But um, he really, he relayed a story at uh, from that uh, first good trouble show where he was out there with Trish and um, you know, he had the match there, fun match, great match. And whenever he went back behind the curtain, like he said, he had a moment with you where like he, uh, you know, you basically like, hey, that was good, but, you know, keep keep going. We got more work to do. Um, would you say that kind of signifies your, your attitude when it comes to continuing in, in pro wrestling? That's, all, that's literally all I, like, nah, I won't say that's really all I want to do because I'm finally over the break, the short break that I've had, I've, I finally figured out what I want to do, but like bigger than anything i just want to i just want to help people who want to be helped and using miles because i i knew he had trisha dora before he knew he had trisha dora because i got told by the promoter uh so 
essentially all no hook was both seasons one and two is in trying to instill the confidence in miles because he has the talent it's not he can do miles can do literally any move that you ask him to well maybe not power moves but like if it's anything that involves jumping or twisting or contorting his body he can do it he's a prodigy but his confidence isn't always there so and i believe it's my you have, you have, I believe firmly that you have two jobs. as a, We have one job as a promoter, and that's to provide the roster with what they need, with what they want and what they need. And if you aren't doing that, then you shouldn't be booking. Whether it's money, because like, I know some people like, I don't want to do this match when I'm getting paid. Well, you're out there doing a service. Or if you're giving them something that's going to help them, something that they want, a dream of theirs, that's your goal. And, you know, maybe sometimes you hit that mark more so than others, but that should always be what's in the forefront of your mind. If you're not doing that, then you shouldn't be booking. My goal, as far as it went with No Hook, was to put Miles in there with some of the best talents in the world. Like, this is before he got on Impact, but, like, he wrestled Sam Beal. He wrestled a Paradigm and a Midwest staple in Flash Thompson. He wrestled Myron. And then in season two, he wrestled with Hoodfoot and Chase, people who were comfortable with, but people who had their own stocks that are rising. He, uh, he wrestled against Jaden. And he wrestled with Jaden, and then he wrestled against Jaden. And then he wrestled Myron again. And all that was to prep him for all this upcoming stuff that he has going forward. And the moment at Good Trouble, where I he already knew what was coming, this is before... Yeah, this is before we filmed season two. So he knew what he had coming up and he just wrestled Trish. And then I knew that he had a couple other things coming up. And I said, all this, you just hung in there with one of the best pro wrestlers in the world. And then you did it again in season one of No Hook and you're going to do it again in season two. What does that make you? And then he started crying because I think it finally resonated with him because he, that kid has had a, I say kid, he's older than me, but that boy has had a rough time in professional wrestling. But I think it finally clicked with him. It's like, he's worth it. He's worth all the time, all the energy, and he's finally fulfilling the hype that he's had since I've known him in 2016. And that's what I want for people. I want Jody to feel comfortable enough to know that he's not a manager anymore. He's a genuine professional wrestler. I want the other Vegas kids to know that Vegas is not the end I'll be on. There's an entirely different world a professional wrestling out there that deserves and needs their talent. I want uh, Ken Broadway and the rest of the New York Carlo to know that there is a world outside of New York and I'm going to do whatever I can to try and get you into the Midwest, which will open up even more doors for you. I want Myron to realize that he is the actual golden child of our wrestling scene and he deserves far better. And this run that he's having at this coronation for all the hard work that he's been doing. I want Tankman to realize that, yeah, you're the... You're still young, but you're the vet now. And you got to bring people up to your level and realize that he is the uh, far greater performer than he's letting on. That's what I want out of this. And at least from what I've been hearing from people, that's what I've been providing. And, you know, it, that just means I'm doing my job. No more, no less. <laughs> well, a couple more things as we kind of wind down here a little bit. I did want to mm-hmm. ask you about um, non-paradigm related, but Obviously, you've been popping up on the Mochella episodes for Fight Club um, out there as, as the, the advocate for the Lost Boys. 
Um, talk to me a little bit about working with Fight Club. Like, what was that experience like for you uh, to work with a company that has been so explicit in its mission to to highlight um, non cishet white people in its promotion? <laughs> so, uh, Fight Club was one of the things that was on my goal, like before the pandemic, and I I desperately wanted to go there, like more more than almost anything in the world. Uh, and Fight Club is like it's like a family reunion we've done two tapings and each taping is like a family reunion to where it's real right back it's real chill and just go and you have a good time now and I've 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 told uh, uh, Kazama this and I'll it does lead to a lack of uh, uh, of time management, but I wouldn't trade. <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for the world. It feels like family every time that we go to DC. Uh, it it's very interesting because, and it's crazy enough. It this is a role that I've also played before, to where I'm a neutral or good guy ring announcer, but I'm a bad guy manager. <laughs> I've played this role before, which is very crazy to think about now that I say it out loud, but uh, <laughs> it allows me to, because I don't manage often. I It's fun, but I don't particularly have a, like a desire to do it, but it's it, it allows me to open up another level of my skill set, and that's awesome. <laughs> uh, and, you know, at... I would like to think that it's its own separate thing, but as far as no hook being on hiatus right now, because I'm not doing another season unless there's more money or I get more, more help. Uh, <laughs> I would like to think it's like a spiritual successor to no hook to where it's a bunch of skits, story-based wrestling with a hip hop sort of vibe that ties everything together. And I love it. I cannot wait to come back. Uh, hopefully it's in front of a crowd but because that more than anything that's what i want uh i want i want the full fight club experience in front of a crowd because that's the only wrestling show i think i've ever seen where it's a majority black crowd even the Florida culture shows were a nice healthy mix but like fight club is a heavy heavy majority black crowd and i want that so bad <laughs> <laughs> No, I I don't blame you at all. Like those shows, like whenever Fight Club was running in front of fans, it was just it was a different environment because of the makeup of the crowd. You know, it was it just was a different it was a different thing. Different like nothing thing. else. Yeah. It it's the closest thing that I think wrestling has gotten to uh peak and one street ball. And that's all I ever wanted in my wrestling. <laughs> No, I could see it. I could see it. That a lot of the company, before, obviously before primetime went away, I think you got a bit of that too there with primetime in the DC area, especially after O'Shea won the championship. Like the images coming out of that show, like very much kind of exuded that spirit in a way too. So I, that Fight Club, yeah, it's something, it's something completely different and something that is uh, greatly needed whenever it is uh, able to come back in the way that it is. Right. Um, yeah. Um, my, I guess my last question for you, let's go back to October. Um, 
2019 uh, or 2020 rather. God, time is a construct. Um, Effie's <laughs> uh, Big Gay Brunch. Uh, obviously, you were there as one of the ring announcers. The event was held in your home state. Um, you know, I, I know back whenever the event was happening, you were very vocal online about the significance of, of that for yourself. Talk to me a little bit about, about that. Um, what was it like for you to be part of a show that was explicitly queer in the way that it was in your home state? It was... So more so than it being in my home state, the fairgrounds where it was held is literally a five minute drive from where I went to middle school. Oh, wow. And it is a 10 minute drive from my house. Mm. So it is almost as close as you can get to being in my backyard <laughs> to, uh, to hold a wrestling show. And specifically, that whole weekend, but specifically Big Gay Brunch and Florida Culture was a moment to where it's like, this is, this is, this is surreal. I, I doesn't get real surreal for me in wrestling ever because I, I've seen a lot of bullshit, but <laughs> it's coming to terms of like, this is, I, I don't even know if I could really put it in the words to be real with you because it, it, it's it was in the very beginning of the show and I don't remember if this made the live stream I think it did but getting like a, a government official from the state of Indiana to declare like that day pro wrestling day in Indiana while I'm in the middle of the ring 10 minutes down five minutes down the road from where like my teachers would tell me pro wrestling is stupid is was the maybe the craziest moment I have ever experienced in my career and to be there is like because you know I'm I did for lack of a better term I'm a baby gay I I realized my career is very like not too recent like maybe two years ago I should probably remember the date <laughs> but like it's all is is beautiful to be real with you, and to hear like it, I I don't ever I hate talking about myself in a positive light. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I, I can acknowledge my talent, but I hate talking about myself in a positive light. But <laughs> hearing people chant my name in my home state during. Uh, big gay brunch and during spring break maybe the peak of my career so mm. at least so far because from the trials and tribulations of trying to start stuff in indiana to like in my upbringing getting both beaten down mentally and physically <laughs> uh for like trying to accomplish my vision and trying to bring you know make indiana wrestling better going from like crying in locker rooms because I did the, the mental stress of everything that was happening was just too much for me to like, then at that point being on the, on the biggest stage in my home state, there was nothing, there's nothing like it. Literally nothing like it. If I could capture that feeling and put it in a bottle and then mass produce that bottle so then everything, every time I got depressed, I could just drink from it. I would, because 
nothing, nothing quite like it. Also, it was my first time wearing makeup. So, and I really want to do that again. It, it's honestly probably going to be the, the first domino leading to the far bigger domino of me eventually doing drag. But like, <laughs> I, it's, what a good day. That shit rules. No, it, it really seemed like it. I mean, because that moment with the, the city official there, like that, that did make the stream. So like that, and that was wild to see in the first place. But then like to see that happen before the queer show started, with all the people that were in the ring and now knowing like obviously like being in indiana was one thing but being so close to like uh areas that that you grew up in and and in your backyard like that is that adds a whole different level of significance to it i totally understand why you have so much emotion around it and why it would be so hard to kind of put into words in the way i hope i didn't ramble too long on that oh no 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 no, no. you are totally fine um totally fine no, it was a beautiful moment. That show was was amazing, um, and it really it really kind of showed uh, you in a you already have like this this distinct freedom about you just in terms of like your style whenever you are ring announcing. I would say, but even more so on that show, it seemed a whole lot looser in a way. You know what I mean? Like it just mm-hmm. it felt like there was more of you coming through because of the environment that you were in. Is I will. There are different J roses for different occasions, but because <laughs> I'm, I'm never. No one ever asked me to do this, and I don't know why you would book me too. But I can be. I can be extremely professional. I can be like WWE style suit and tie. There is uh, manic, hardcore J rose, which is what you see when you and I do like Paradigm and GCW, but like doing. Uh, big gay brunch and for the culture those are the most genuine that's just me talking out there <laughs> and like i could just fully and freely you know be me and I, like it's not like wrestling doesn't afford me the opportunity to do that all the time it's not like i'm faking who i am but like i have to pull out a different sort of my personality so then i can acclimate to whatever audience i'm in front of because you know, i'm from indiana so i can't be <laughs> as much as i want to I can't be myself fully, you know, mm-hmm. as much as I want to all the time for my, for my own safety. But that is a more depressing conversation for a different time. Um, but like <laughs> in the middle of the ring in my home city, I was allowed to be as black and as gay as I wanted to. And it was wonderful. I would not trade it for the world. Uh, you love to fucking see it. You really do. Um, well, I guess I said that was the last question. I have one more question because it does relate You're to your good. I'm having fun. <laughs> awesome. I'm so am I. Um, because you brought up your ring announcing style, or I, mm-hmm. I brought it up. You expounded on it there a little bit, because yeah, you're capable of doing the the reserved like quote unquote professional style. But let's be real, like there's a different energy whenever J Rose is doing J Rose as ring announcer on shows, um, it hits different in a really, really amazing way. What, or yeah. What was the kind of uh, inspiration for your ring announcing style? So this is okay. So 
this is a very, very, very abridged version of my wrestling story. But uh, I came into wrestling wanting to do graphic design and video because I knew it was something that was needed and I already had a background in this. Before I started doing wrestling, I was like on video crews for NBA and NFL teams. Mm. Uh, NFL games, NBA and NFL games, not teams. Yeah. Boy, I wish. that would I probably wouldn't be in wrestling. I don't have a career. Anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was doing like NBA and NFL games. So I have a fairly solid background in video work and uh, a decent enough background in graphic design. And there was always like, you know, everyone has the hopes. Like, when I grow up, I want to be a wrestler, you know, but that was never really my bag, you know. And uh, growing up in Indiana, I would like going to these shows, I would realize that the energy of the show, unless the performances were off the charts and, you know, with some of the not so savory people in our scene, they kind of, it kind of worked, uh, but the energy of the matches match, the energy of the crowd match the energy of the ring announcer. And most of the people who are ring announcing when I was going to shows originally was like the promoter's girlfriend or somebody's, somebody's uh, aunt or a guy who, there, there's some people who paid to get put into position. There was some, there was like referees who would do it. And then they would like ring announce and then they were ringing us backstage and come out and then ref the matches. And I'm like, this sucks. And so I had to try and fight and claw and be like, let me do this because I can do it. And they would be like, no, you have to learn how to do this. You need to learn how to do that. So I learned how to do everything in pro wrestling except for like wrestle just to tell people, hey, I can do all this, but let me ring it out. And by the time I got that opportunity in my, I believe late 2018, I knocked it out of the park. By their words, not mine, because uh, I, I don't like talking well about myself. Uh, so my philosophy or theory on it is that like, it's going to sound so pretentious, but there's an art to it. And there are different sort of, there's different sort of situations you need to prep yourself for. But above all else, I, if I'm having fun and I'm enjoying it, more than likely you're going to have fun because then it loosens you up. If I take this seriously, you're going to treat it like it's something that needs to be taken seriously and not that wrestling isn't serious business you know i have nothing but respect for the art and sport of professional wrestling but it's wrestling and if, if i'm having fun y'all should be having fun and i this once again going to sound pretentious but i study i like i look at i look at people like uh david penzer howard finkel uh both the buffer brothers but my biggest inspiration for what for how I come and do the things that I do is John Ian, who rest in peace, he uh, used to ring announce PWG right before they really blew up. Uh, and he was the, the, he and Larry Legend were the first black ring announcers I ever saw. And I did not think that was, for whatever reason, 
Like you remember when you were a kid and you see like a, your teacher at the store and it's like, I just thought teachers just stayed at school all the time. What, what the hell? It's yep. one of those moments. <laughs> I didn't even think that was, I didn't like, once you see it, it makes sense. But I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, Larry Legend is a big inspiration on me. The way his cadence, the way that he adds gravitas and makes moments feel bigger. That is a big inspiration on me. But the biggest inspiration of all I don't know if you've ever watched Pride FC, yeah. but Lene Hart, that is my biggest inspiration for ring announcing. And if I ever met her, I would probably cry because everything that I try and do in as far as it goes with ring announcing, I try and emulate her style and then make it black. <laughs> That's all I try and do. Uh, so the way that she would screech uh, but like or sing people's names or like she would roll people's like roll the l's and the r's in people's names i pick up from that a ton and i study is it's hard to find pride fc on the internet but if i every time i'm able to i want to do tape study i try and find a pride fc fight and try and see how she does things because she in my mind is the greatest ring announcer of all time because she adds not only does she bring the uh, the correct emotion to what's happening, she adds to it. And if I can add to an event, then I'm doing something. Then I'm I'm becoming an asset to the show that I'm on. I'm not just fulfilling a role. I'm adding to it. And that's mm. what I want to do. Uh, I definitely think it does add to it. In, in the way that, that you want it to. Um, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's just adds a different level of excitement in, in a way. And honestly kind of makes the atmosphere of whatever show that you're on feel more freeing or less stuffy in a way. <laughs> that, that and I, I, I completely understand. The, yeah. the downside of that, though, is that... <laughs> In some part, in some reasons, I know I've confirmed this, and some of it is a suspicion on my part. I know I have alienated some people because it feels like I'm trying to get myself over. Mm. Which, if you, if anyone knows me in real life, that is not my goal. My biggest goal, as far as it, I know I keep saying my biggest goal, but this is the peak of everything. I want people to have the chance to enjoy wrestling as much as I do. And everything that I do is to try and accomplish that goal. And like, I struggle, this is to be candid and not to end on a depressing note, but <laughs> like, I struggle sometimes of trying to find the balance of being what I think people need from me and being what people want from me. Because above all else, I never, ever, ever want to take away from the performers, to take away from the wrestlers, from the actual, from the people who are putting their actual bodies on the line. As much as I think of what I, I add to what I, I add to shows with what I do, I'm just a voice. I never want to get in the way of the people who are putting their bodies on the line. But I think my style of doing things actively adds to it. But I know some people, vehemently disagree like i know if i continue to announce the way that i'm announcing i'll never get signed 
and that's something I kind of have to, I'll never get signed to ring announce because, and that's something I have to kind of come to terms with because no one, I, I severely doubt that anyone that has a TV product is going to let me do things that I do it on the independent level. And that goes for everyone who signs a contract. I know that much, but like no one's going to let me screech and hop and yell and give what I, what I believe is the correct emotional response to the things that is happening on a larger platform. And I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to make, you know, a sufficient living off of this. And I love it. I love, I love doing that more than I love doing anything else in the world. But that's the sort of risk I'm going to have to take. It's a, it's a conversation. I feel like I'm rambling, but I'll, I'll wrap it up like this. It is something that I've had to try and acclimate myself with and not in terms of like just to work but in my everyday life how much can I be me without harming people or making or offending people with who I am which really speaks to a lot of things but <laughs> yeah I was actually about to to go there because it really does especially talking about intersectionality here you know queer identities uh you know racial identities you know I like there's a whole lot of parallels in, in what you're talking about and also the ability to express one's own identity to the fullest that they want to and having to really kind of put a, a veil on on that in a way, you know, just to get through everyday life at times. Right. And on top of like me being unusual at what I do, I'm also Black. And I'm also queer. So I already have that in some regards going against me, whether it's conscious and being from Indiana, sometimes it is extremely conscious on people who don't like it. And whether it's subconscious, you know, uh, I, I don't, I, I feel like at times I come off as abrasive and loud and far too outspoken and far too different. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to be too much. And it's something that, you know, I have to, I really don't want to end the. Um, oh, don't worry. I have, a, I have another question in the, <laughs> in, in the, in the hopper. So don't worry. We won't end on a bad uh, note, but please continue. It's, it's something that like, it's, it's a plight that I have to go through in my everyday life. And it's unfortunately something I have to go through in my work life and trying to, how much is too much. And it's not, per se something that I see other people have to deal with but then again like I feel like I censor myself a ton but I know I'm also very outspoken and that I obviously can't help things you know so and I try I try I really do try not to ruffle any feathers because if I if I said what was actually on my mind people would be mad at me but like it's how much can I get away with being myself or being what I think people need in contrast to the people who hold the power and what they want? Sometimes I just look at myself in the mirror and like, you got to shut up. And I tone myself down. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling at this point. Nah, nah, you're good. I mean, I think anybody that that is part of a a community, you know, in, in that way, like we've been discussing, I think has those moments where like you, 
you have to have that conversation internally about like, well, how how much do I go? How far do I go? What do I pull back on? And it it sucks that you know that 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 stuff has been happening in your professional career as well, but it's also been really uh, awesome to see that it hasn't really hampered you as much, at least from what we see in ring. Like we still get the J rows that I think a lot of people expect to see whenever you are ring announcing a show. So like, that is amazing to see. It's just, I, I hope that it, that, that situation gets, gets better for you, whether it be from the outside forces or your own like internal conversations that you have with yourself. And, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, because <laughs> those conversations are always difficult, you know? Um, but I did say, we're not going to end on a depressing note as, as you put it, because I did have one more question for you because my brain always keeps things back here that just like to come to the forefront wherever I think I'm out of ideas. Um, one thing that always happens, and I think it's it's an expectation on a J. Rose announced show, is the use of the phrase, if the action is coming your way, that means it is. Pick up, grab your shit, and move. <laughs> now, I'm pretty... You correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you're not the first person to use that. No, no, I'm yes. not. I cannot take credit for that. Exactly. But it has somewhat become synonymous in recent years with J Rose announced shows. Talk to me a little bit about um like the about kind of bringing that phrase into your own vernacular in a way. And just I don't know, anytime it comes out, it 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 elicits a humorous response from me personally because it seems like the most obvious thing in the world <laughs> you would think that wouldn't you and yet yeah I, I keep finding myself having to say it <laughs> um so one of the things that i try and do as far as it goes with my journey in wrestling is that if i feel like i've made a connection somewhere i try and take a piece of that and take it with me so uh for example, if you it, it usually doesn't get picked up on streams, but if you've ever been to a show that I bring it out at, I usually, I usually one if I if I have my way, and a lot of promoters don't do this because, yeah, I I get it, you know, it, it's kind of making it too much about me. But I have an entrance. The entrance stems from the fact that uh, back when I uh, in Indianapolis, uh, there was a joke that was a. Uh, uh, J Rose, you need to go. Your music is hitting. It's like, I don't have any music. And it would kept going and going and going. And this is before I started ring announcing. So when I started ring announcing, I gave myself interest music. And it adds to the overall party starter vibe of the show. Uh, if uh, the phrase, if the action looks like it's coming your way, that means it is, grab your shit and move. I got from Southern Indiana wrestling, which is what I take from paradigms, but but specifically, that comes from IWA Mid South, and yes. I don't know the origins of that specific phrase, but I learned it from Nick Manawa, uh, who is the Swiss Army knife. He does everything uh, down at IWA, and back when I used to frequent the IWA shows, uh, it got to the point where he would say it that often, to where I would start yelling it back in unison in the crowd. So now during like my first few years, I was like, please move, please move. I was like, that's not working. Okay, 
if the action looks like it's coming your way, that means it is. Grab your shit and move. It's it's in it. Uh, it's become part of who I am at this point. Uh, <laughs> I have been on shows, or I've been to shows that I'm not the ring announcer on, and the promoter has been like, hey, but they start brawling in the crowd, and the promoter's like, hey, give him the mic. <laughs> and I say the line, <laughs> and then people disperse. Uh, but I've thought about like putting it on a shirt or something because it, it's become funny how people. It, I if anyone ever asks, that's not my bit. I never want to. I never want to take the credit and be like, "Oh, you came up with this." I did not. The credit to that goes to Nick Manoa. But I've thought about like putting it on shirts because it's gotten to the point now where if it's somewhere that I've been before, people will start saying it with me, just like I did at IWA, and I think that's really cool. But you would think I wouldn't have to say it as much as I have to. It feels like a real self-explanatory sentence, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a self-explanatory sentence that honestly speaks to a visual like representation of something that's already coming towards you that you should already be responding to <laughs> in a way. Like, right. I yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it's one of those things that you know has become a J-Rose trademark and really does uh, get get a good chuckle out of me anytime I hear it. So there's 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 our good place to to end our conversation on. Um, if you see the action coming towards you, it means it is. Grab your Grab shit, shit and move. Yes. J-Rose, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time Thank to chat. Thank you so much for having me. Thank no you worries. for all that you do with your platform. Oh, no. Right back at you. Right back at you. Let everybody know where they can find you online and what you got coming up. So uh, before I put my stuff up, I would be very remiss if I didn't uh, shout out the wonderful love of my life. MK, I love you. Uh, keep doing great things. Don't follow MK. They don't like the attention. But you can follow me on social media at This Is J Rose, uh, both on Instagram and Twitter. And if you find, yeah, basically, if you want to find me on social media, find This Is J Rose. That's where I live. If uh, you go somewhere and you can't find This Is J Rose, I'm not on it. Uh, <laughs> you can also find me on my new website, thisisjrose.com. Big shouts out to Tiger Driver 9X Chris uh, for hooking me up with that, uh, for placing the foundation with that. If you want to know what, uh, dates I'm on at a quick glance without scrolling through the various blatherings of uh, re-watching uh, Legendary on HBO Max or the Indiana Pacers and you want to know where you can find me ring announcing live uh, go to thisisjros.com uh, there you can find it or if you want to book me there's a neat little feature on my uh, website to where you can send me a message inquiring about an open date so then you don't have to try and DM me because as the host of this podcast knows very well, it's very hard <laughs> for whatever reason to get a hold of me. Who knows? It is a mystery. Uh, but no, this is jrose.com at this is jrose on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, please support Paradigm Pro Wrestling, uh, Black Label Pro, where you can find me uh, all out weekend. Uh, I'm going to be on their shows. I may be doing some other shows, but I don't know yet. 
hopefully I will find out about that relatively soon. Uh, um, support all the other promotions I work for, St. Louis Anarchy, Grap House, which has a show coming up on the 19th of August, SummerSlam weekend. Uh, and I think that's about it. Uh, oh, uh, if you want to support me on my website, there is a merchandise section. And uh, a big part of why five years were so important to me is that my boss, Jerry, was like, for whatever arbitrary reason, wait until year five to start selling merch. Well, it's year five and I'm cashing in. So <laughs> you can find <laughs> J-Rose merch on thisisjrose.com for a limited time only. Uh, the J-Rose uh, Indianapolis Clowns jersey shirt is available. I'm only going to bring it out of the vault every once in a while. It's not going to be available all the time. And on What a Maneuver, uh, you can find a cute little shirt uh, help designed by Tiger Jeffrey Chris. And that's going to be up for all time. But I think that's all I have. I don't think I have anything else to plug. <laughs> Uh, support Tiger Driver 9X. Go to shop.tigerdriver9x.com. Use promo code MILKERS on IWTV. You don't get any trial or anything anymore, but you know it's pretty cool. It, it, it would help Tiger Driver, and you know that's my that's my fucking guy. So, uh, yeah. Nah, for sure, for sure. I mean, honestly, you got you got a lot. Even on hiatus, you got a lot going on. So, <laughs> hey, at least you're not up till 3 a.m. editing you know what yeah <laughs> you right there you go you find the silver linings <laughs> uh, no you know there will not be a no hook season three until one of you, somebody pays me more or i get more help and that is my closing statement somebody Stop get j rose <laughs> somebody get j rose some resources damn it Stop asking me because I'm not going to give it to you. Well, thank you, J Rose. Thank you so much. And everybody, uh, be blessed and be a blessing. My thanks once again to J Rose for taking the time and, and stopping by and chatting all about his uh, career so far, what's on the horizons, and just his uh, entire process um and what goes into everything that he does in the pro wrestling world i will say it's very uh, serendipitous that he brought up uh final fantasy 7 in the midst of this conversation i didn't want to continue down that road because i don't didn't want to derail a conversation there but um i just think it was very funny that not like a day or two before um, we recorded the interview. I have been speaking to my partner and a friend about um, wanting to go back and play Final Fantasy VIII now that the remake is out because when I originally played it years and years ago when I was a teenager, I fucking hated it. <laughs> Mostly because of the, of the draw system. You, I'm getting into the weeds here a bit. But either way, um, I will say this. like I am... One of those turn-based uh, RPG fans here and there. But, yeah, no harm. No harm. Um, I totally understand the point. Um, anyway, I don't know. I don't know why I went into Final Fantasy mode there. Either way, Jero's awesome. Check out Paradigm Pro Wrestling. Check out all the stuff that he has coming up as well. Um, and thank you for continuing to check us out here on the show. We're still rolling along here. Um 
got a, a busy August, busy September. It's, uh, it's just going to be so, uh, so jam packed. And, and also, um, I guess, and I guess it's official now. I know I said it a couple weeks ago and I said it on Twitter again, but I'll just go ahead and say it again now. QWI is going to be ranked this year. Um, so I'm making sure that I have a full plate going forward forever. But that's the way we want it, right? Right. Uh, but plate's empty for this week. We're done. All right. So um, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to come back next Thursday. We're going to have another fun interview. And also next Thursday is the debut of Paris is Bumping Solid Gold 21, um, which, you know, I will say for the parts that were live in the building in Jersey, oh my God, <laughs> y'all are all, y'all are all in for a treat. Remember that debuts next Thursday. But make sure to listen to us before then because we have a little bit of a tie-in there. A little bit of a tie-in to Paris is, Bur- uh, Paris is Bumping. Uh, next week. Um, But until then, y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear your mask, get vaccinated, and I guess get ready for emo night. Bye! Six, six, six.